Hello and welcome to Ish2Tech Talk, the podcast series from Ish2Tech, the hydrogen technology journal from Gulf Energy Information. My name is Sumedha Sharma and I'm the technical editor with Ish2Tech and your host for Ish2Tech Talk today. Today we'll be talking about the global green hydrogen energy outlook, the opportunities and challenges for the industry, and then we'll narrow down to some technology solutions and projects as we get in conversation with our expert, Ron Beck, Senior Director of Industry Marketing with Aspen Technology. To begin with, I'd like to invite Ron to introduce himself and tell us a little bit about your role at Aspen Technology. Welcome to H2 TikTok, Ron. Well, thanks very much, Sumeda, for having me today. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Um, yeah, so I work for Aspen Technology. We're a global um, software technology company. Uh, have been supplying software for the energy and chemical industries for the last 40 years. And uh, I've worked for the company for the past 15 years. And my role is as the overall lead in the company into the energy industry, um, both to explain our technologies to the industry and to listen to the industry as to what they need. And of course, today, uh, increasingly, uh, everybody across the energy and chemical industries is very interested in sustainability in general, but uh, energy transition in particular, or some people talk about electrification, um, but certainly hydrogen is one of the big players there. And I've been following that field very closely for the last three years or so. Thank you, Ron. Um, it's uh, really interesting times for, the, for, for every aspect of industry across the globe. And there is a lot of interesting things that you are doing and you're involved with. So I, I'll try, dive straight into my first question, which I consider as a very quintessential one today. Blue versus green hydrogen, which one do you think will have greater role to play both uh, in the short term and the long term? Okay, so that's a great question, and it seems to evolve minute by minute almost as the world turns. Um, certainly right now, as we're seeing, uh, you know, a natural gas crunch, if you will, or a pinch in Europe, and nobody knows precisely how long that situation will last um, because of the conflict in the Ukraine and the potential interruption in Russia supplied gas into Europe. Uh, might may change things, but just to, to set the stage there, um, you know, uh, Aspen Tech recently has conducted two surveys, both of them in cooperation with your parent company, Hydrocarbon Processing, or sister company. Um, but interestingly enough, whether it's green or blue, it seems definitely clear that industry overall and I'm talking about across all heavy industries um, is, and globally is you know, very, very committed to investing in hydrogen. So hydrogen is to some people's surprise, but it's emerged relatively quickly as the leading candidate. Just to cite you know, a couple, some, some numbers here, we just finished a survey and we're gonna be conducting a webinar with hydrocarbon processing. I invite everybody to listen on April 27th giving the full detail on this, but we asked people uh, globally what, the, what capital projects and sustainability they expect to award and conduct over the next three years. 
um, and hydrogen came up at the top. You know, 51% of the people surveyed said they were going to, they believed hydrogen was the most heavy capital investment area that was, you know, closely followed by areas such as energy optimization, carbon capture, but everything else, even including solar and wind and biofeed stocks, much lower down on the list. Um, and if you look just a year and a half ago when we did a similar survey, uh, the number was 39%. So basically it's, it's sort of, you know, it had some initial, let's say hyper interest, but that's only, you know, as people have looked, started projects and looked at the feasibility, it's increased. Now your question was about green versus blue. Um, and to me, that's an interesting question. The, you know, if, if I turn it upside down before I say what I think, but what industry thinks we, in the survey we did a year and a half ago, we asked, well, well would you be investing in green or in blue hydrogen? And it really comes down almost 50-50. And um, so what I think is that, you know, certainly still today in the short term, um, blue hydrogen, the economics are better. And you also, if you set aside for a minute, and we can't really set it aside, but if you set aside the natural gas situation caused by the, the conflict in Europe, um, you know, you have a lot of natural gas being produced in the world. And as people try to move to lower and lower carbon, uh, carbon emitting industry, you know, as a company tries to get to net carbon zero, hydrogen becomes a good way to turn natural gas into a lower carbon alternative for, for energy. Now you lose some efficiency when you do that. And there's, there's some gotchas there. The biggest gotcha is if you have blue hydrogen, can you, what's the efficiency at which you can capture carbon off of that blue hydrogen process? And that's really the wild card there. If people can drive technically the efficiency of capturing the hydrogen from a blue hydrogen project at least up to 90% efficiency. And I know that at least one of the major suppliers who have a blue hydrogen process told me that they can do that, that they've, they've achieved that at least one project, at least a test level. So, but if that could be driven up to that level, then you potentially have a you know, viable medium long-term solution. But in the short term, you know, it is a, it is a, a good project area. A good, you know, good economics and a decent solution. You know, there's some debate about that if you look at the entire value chain. In green hydrogen, you know, clearly you are, you, if you're using renewable fuels to power the hydrogen electrolysis technology, you're at potentially zero hydrogen for that process. I mean, zero CO2 emission. So from a you know, net zero carbon point of view, it's a lot, it's a superior solution. The economics though, you know, most projections are that it won't be cost competitive with blue hydrogen for at least another eight or nine years. People are saying by 2030 and by people, I mean, even electrolysis suppliers. So, you know, uh, the CEO of uh, Tyson Krupp at a recent conference at APEC in, in, uh, in uh, I think end of November and said in a public forum with all the other industry executives there that he thought, you know, green hydrogen would have parity by 2030 from a cost point of view. Um, on green, so I think short-term, you know, 
all things, you know, setting aside the, the European crisis from that, um, you know, blue hydrogen ha has a higher potential in the short term, um, especially from parts of the world that have a lot of natural gas available. You know, for example, the Middle East, for example, Malaysia, for example, um, you know, the US um, could be hubs for blue hydrogen if you can capture the carbon very efficiently. Um, and the other, the other, of course, environmental thing there is that, um, you know, so there have been some analyses, so, so if you will, life cycle assessments of blue hydrogen, which are saying, well, you have methane escaping during the natural gas collection and transport process. So is it really a better solution? So I think people, and people are, are you know, focused on that for, for both blue hydrogen regions, but also just, you know, for the focus on methane reduction. Um, you know, is if that can be solved, and I think it can, then blue hydrogen becomes a really good solution. In the green hydrogen side, um, then potentially, as the economics get better, it's potentially overall a better long-term solution. Um, and, um, but the, the question being, you know, if you start looking at the projection of how much renewable energy you need to drive the amount of hydrogen you might want to produce, green hydrogen, the, um, the potential bottleneck becomes, well, can you, if you want to do a very large scale green hydrogen project, let's say in Houston or in Calgary, can you secure enough renewable fuels to run that? And you're competing with using renewable fuels to recharge electric vehicles, using renewable fuels for different purposes. So you're in a competitive situation and can you uh, secure enough of a supply. Now, um, one of the areas that's moving ahead qu most quickly in North America is Quebec. And the thing about Quebec is they have a unique advantage because if you look at energy supply in Quebec, it's almost 100% hydropower. The huge, and I've been up in the regions where the hydropower dams are, I've canoed up there. <laughs> and um, you know, I mean, the quantities, the water that they are running through those dams is the power is immense. The quantities are almost unlimited. So what they're actually doing in many, you know, in mo many parts of the year, they're actually, if you will, wasting potential hydropower because they have nowhere to use it. So if they can generate, and the thing about, of course, electric power today is you either you use it now or you lose it and hydrogen potentially becomes a crucial solution for energy storage. Um, and so, yeah, so there, there you know, Qu Quebec has already started um, some very large scale green hydrogen. They have some online, they have, you know, so in a situation like that where you don't have, you know, the renewable supply challenge, <laughs> you, have, you have, if you will, excess renewables available, you know, it can move very quickly. That, that's a great point, Ron. I, I do agree a lot on that because uh, uh, green hydrogen has faced this one particular challenge, localization of resources in terms of renewable energy supply. And uh, like you said, expanding into that area using hydroelectric power, that could be a solution for many countries who are not looking at green hydrogen right now. 
So coming to your, circling back to your uh, core area, your technologies, how how are companies across the globe using your technology to evaluate or uh, figure out which of the competing green hydrogen technologies available in the market are most suitable for their applications? Yeah, so, you know, of course we're a technology company and we would say so, but, um, you know, pro you know, promote the use of technology, but it's really true. And I think uh, actually Al Gore at the, at the, um, the, um, the, the World Economic Forum meetings said, you know, technology, digital technology is going to be the key to renewables. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Bill Gates said something similar. Um, but um, to do the innovation people need to do and to compare, as you said, the alternatives, there's so much, uh, so many options and alternatives and choices to look at. You have to use technology to evaluate them. So basically, you know, and this is a unique area that the world is just learning about. So if you look at green hydrogen, it's sort of um, a nexus between electric power and chemical engineering. So you're basically combining two fields that aren't used to be looked at together. And it's the same thing, by the way, with things like electric batteries. But, you know, and our technology has been used a lot in the development of electric batteries, but we have unique modeling tools that combine, let you look at what we call electrochemistry. So the electric side and the chemical side together. So that's one part. How do you innovate? You know, and um, that's a key part to this. How do you make the electrolyzers more efficient? But that's at a sort of process level, if you will. At a systems level, if you're looking at what I was talking about before, like, do you have enough renewable fuels? How do you arrange them? You know you know, well, if you're going to use solar and wind to generate, a, you know, one of the key issues on green hydrogen, if you're going to use electric and solar, I mean, wind and solar, um, okay, well, they're mostly running during the day. <laughs> you know, the wind and the, and the uh, sun are, are more, you know, periodic. So what do you do in the low period periods? And, and I think it's interesting because the management consultants are saying, well, and they're asking us, can you run your models to tell us how to run these different units at 20% capacity? And we tell them, well, you, you, you don't really, chemical processes are not designed to run at 20%. That's not, you don't just turn them down like that. So then you have to look at the trade-offs between, well, how much storage do you need in order to keep enough electric power running to make, let's say, you know, green, green hydrogen a reliable, steady source. And so that's then you need systems models. So we also have systems modeling technology that can evaluate all those trade-offs. And so you make the capital investments the right way to have reliable energy sources. So those are a few of the ways people are looking at that. So um, this is interesting to know. I am curious, like, are your models more valuable at the uh, at the build-out stage or at the application stage? Uh, let me rephrase. Like when uh, when people are making investment decisions, is it that when your modeling can help them more or uh, the application stage? Well, I mean, that's a great question and it's both. So um, it's definitely really a lot of the, let's say startups in this field are using our tools 
um, be and because our software has been around for 40 years and has been involved in, it's proven. So, you know, investors are, you if you, so, you know, basically, if you can take these models and say, look, you know, one of the purpose of the models in that phase is prove the ability to scale up. <laughs> that what you can perform at a bench scale or in a laboratory or in a pilot plant, you can also perform reliably in an industrial scale. So, you know, investors feel way more comfortable if they see those rigorous modeling results. And uh, we have unique technology that allows you to basically uh, spit out, if you will, the economics after you've looked at an alternative. So you can look at, let's say, 100 alternative possibilities and figure out the relative economics of each and the relative carbon footprint of each. Um, so that's, yes. But then in the, the application phase or operations phase, it's going to be equally important. So for example, actually, Air Products produced this one of the blue hydrogen companies leading blue hydrogen area. You know, they have a, one of the largest networks in the Gulf Coast of basically hydrogen plants, some of them blue hydrogen, some of them not yet blue hydrogen, and pipelines. And they're using this technology to monitor and optimize and run reliably the whole network. Because one of the challenges is people try to scale up technologies like hydrogen. This is new technology. It's going to be tricky. It's advanced technology. It involves electricity and chemistry. You know, where are you going to get the experts to run these plants? <laughs> well, you're not. So you need to, you know, whoever you are, you're potentially going to have distributed plants in different locations. Um, you need you the ideal way to do service this is from one central location, or as we've all learned at the, you know, last two years, you could maybe hire experts who are actually monitoring plants from their, you know, their living room or their dining room or their study. You know, and that's certainly possible. Uh, with these techno with the technology. But the other part is um, we were just briefly chatting before the session started. We're working, talking to one company um, who I won't name, but they're intending to install and try multiple hydrogen electrolysis technologies because they're not sure which one would be the winning technology, let's say five years from now. So then you know you want to use models as you actually run these to evaluate their performance and both see you know, which one performs best, but also how can you improve it when you do deploy it further and scale it out. So the, at all phases, technology becomes crucial in accelerating, accelerating this into, into the world and the marketplace. Right, uh, Ron. I, I know one of the biggest challenges also in terms of hydrogen is uh, logistics. How do you get the hydrogen that is produced? I know there, there's a lot of interest, there's a lot of investment in building hydrogen hubs, but at the same time, not every place can be a hydrogen hub, right? You need to get hydrogen to market once it's produced. So be it uh, cryogenic hydrogen using different types of uh, uh, zeolites and carriers and catalysts. Uh, how, how is your technology uh, helping in uh, hydrogen logistics? Yeah, so this is, well, it's helping because in a lot of, you know, people aren't sure, like you said. Um, and it's, a, it's really a safety issue. Which, how can you safely transport hydrogen? Or even if, you know, if you, like you said, if you 
cool it down and create cryogenic liquid hydrogen, you know, how do you convey that safely? What what metal materials can the pipelines be that won't corrode and will won't leak? Uh, what kind of seals do you need? So these all you can model, and that's what people are doing. They're modeling them to try to understand, you know. And there's you know there's been a lot of talk about using existing pipelines and changing them over to ammonia pipelines or hydrogen pipelines because ammonia could be one of the carrier fluids, right? But all those raise questions as to well. What's the condition of the existing pipelines? If you, you know, there's still debate. You know, if you put hydrogen in a natural gas pipeline, like 10 or 20 percent of the, how safe is that going to be? So that's all. You know, so that and that all you, you definitely want to create a digital twin and model that before you try it out in the real world. And by the way, that's what they're doing in Quebec. One of the, one of the companies that's building one of these big uh, hydropower fueled electrolyzers in Quebec is Enbridge pipeline, you know, and so their whole goal is to, you know, use hydrogen as a, you know, basically use their their natural gas pipeline network to also uh, put them in a good position with hydrogen. And then, well, there's a lot to be learned about exactly how far you can take that with existing pipelines, or do you need to build new ones? Um, you know, uh, everybody's, as I said, you know, 51% of the people surveyed a month ago said hydrogen was the number one area of uh, being pursued. So everybody's, I think, feels that if they forge ahead, they're, you know, th these technical problems exist, but they can be solved through a, you know, combination of ingenuity, using modeling technology to look at new alternatives. And when you, you know, with our technology, you can merge together traditional rigorous engineering models with AI. So you can run through huge amounts of data to come up with innovative solutions that are more reliable and safer, more economic. So I think people, and I think the, the key message out of all of this though is, you know, there's not one technology that's gonna be the answer to this. And then if you go back into Europe, which is having this, this whole uh, crisis of natural gas supply right now. Yeah, there's they're looking at how fast can we introduce things like hydrogen and other alternatives, renewables. But you know, if you look at the just the volume of energy needed in the world, you know, hydrogen is going to be one component. Electric vehicles will be another. You know, natural gas will certainly continue to be another, and so forth and so on. Uh, circling back to the Ukraine crisis, Ron, um, do, do you think it's going to be, uh, in the short term, is it going to be bad for green hydrogen? Are our investments going to get routed? What is that situation? How do you see that unfolding? Well, personally, hydrogen? yeah, I mean, I've had the opportunity to discuss with several European companies recently. I didn't put that question to them directly, but you know, based on the things we were discussing, I think companies are, and industry in general is gonna to continue to, with their sustainability projects. They know that the investment community overall, this is not a government thing or a market thing, it's an investment community thing. You know, they're putting a preference on putting money towards projects that are, you know, better for the environment. That's been set sort of as a, you know, mega, investment community priority. So that will continue. I think in the very short term, uh, 
yeah, I mean, in Europe, in, in Germany in particular, they need to solve um, their shortfall in natural gas. So mm -hmm. people will be doing everything possible to replace that. You can't instantaneously, you know, people heat their homes with natural gas in Germany. You have to, you know, even if you decide to switch that, it's not going to be switched immediately. You have to, you have to somehow get more natural gas into Europe. But, mm -hmm. and so, but I don't think that that will stop the, you know, and I think people will, will see that they need to, I think people are starting to realize, you know, no matter what you want to do from a sustainability point of view, oil and natural gas will continue to be important fuels for the future and energy security becomes important. So investments have to go in that direction. But I think also people are realizing more renewables is part of energy security, <laughs> you know, and I think if any if any lesson is there, because the natural gas exists in the world, it's just not readily available instantaneously to, let's say, people in Germany or Austria or Italy, <laughs> which are some of the countries that are hit by this the most. Um, you know, interconnections is a key. Mm -hmm. How do you and interconnections, by the way, is also really important, whether it's hydrogen, natural gas, oil electricity you know i think the interconnections between markets and countries haven't been paid attention you know or not have not advanced let's say as fast as um the technology itself so mm -hmm. people are looking at hydrogen but they're not necessarily looking at like you said how do you get hydrogen from one place to another if you need it um people are just looking at it within one country or let's say okay in the hydrogen hub of Houston, we can satisfy what the Gulf Coast needs, but what about everywhere else? Interconnection could be helpful in both directions, right? So. True, um, there's a lot that needs to be done, uh, right from transport, logistics, and infrastructure in every, yeah. every field, and hydrogen is no different. Um, thank you so much, Ron, uh, for yeah. sharing your insights with me and with our H2 Tech Talk audience. Uh, turning to our audience, I am very sure that you've got some very interesting upshots to take home. So stay tuned to H2 Tech Talk and stay updated with the latest in technology and developments in the hydrogen space. Thank you for listening in. Thank you. <laughs>